On Monday morning, New York Daily News race-centric columnist Sean King posited a new change to the Constitution to oust Donald Trump. He tweeted, quote, A few serious but wild questions. One, could the people of the United States somehow hold a vote now or in the next year to oust Donald Trump, like a recall of some sort? And then he also tweeted, what other ways exist for the American people to legally oust an unethical president? Impeachment only? We have long since crossed a point where real Donald Trump is so dishonest, so unethical, that it is truly dangerous for our democracy. In layman's terms, what would it take for the USA to pass a constitutional amendment for a president recall like California has for governor? (laughs) Apparently, Sean King was too busy tweeting to read the Constitution. You know, the document that answers this exact question many, many times. Impeachment is the only constitutional way of ousting a sitting president, of course, unless Trump is declared mentally unfit for office under the 25th Amendment by the VP and a majority of cabinet officers or of such other body as Congress provides by law. But our constitutional system was designed to avoid the instabilities of parliamentary democracy with its constant votes of no confidence, its constant elections, its shifting governmental powers. As for revisions of the Constitution, the Constitution also sets out how amendments work. But that would require, you know, actually reading things. It would also require Donald Trump to do something so bizarre that VP Pence or House Republicans had no choice but to initiate Trump's ouster. He hasn't. The left's hysteria right now is so over the top, they can't even wait for Trump to implode for him to become unfit in their eyes. He was unfit the day he won. Here is the truth. Trump's Twitter feed is not a threat to the republic. His rhetoric may not be good for civil discourse, but that's nothing new. President Obama spent the last eight years undermining civic discourse in a far more sophisticated way than Trump does with his 140-character blasts. And Obama undermined faith in the government far more than Trump has, which is how Trump was able to sweep into the White House on the back of popular discontent. The left can keep dreaming that Trump will just disappear or they can deal with reality. So long as they do the former, Trump will keep winning. It looks like Trump's winning streak will probably continue on that basis. But just as importantly, The left's lack of care about basic civics is one of the reasons politics breaks down. Our system is actually pretty durable. The founders created it that way. But the left doesn't care about the system, which is why the executive branch continues to accrue power. Civic ignorance leads to populism that favors powerful demagogues. If the left ever once read the Constitution and respected it, there might be an actual shot at a government of, by, and for the people rather than an elected oligarchy every four years or so. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Alrighty, so tons to get to. Obviously, Donald Donald Trump tweeted something and that set the world on fire. And we'll talk about whether what he tweeted was accurate or inaccurate or whether it matters or if the media have completely lost their mind. A lot to get to on that score. But first, we have to say thank you to our sponsors over at Mac Weldon. So Mac Weldon, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, MacWeldon.com. They sell the best underwear that is available. They sell undershirts and hoodies and sweatpants. It is so comfortable. It is so durable. It really is fantastic, fantastic stuff. They des- they believe in smart design and premium fabric- fabrics and simple shopping. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means that they eliminate odor, which is really cool, and they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you don't even have to return it. You can keep it, and they'll still refund you, no questions asked. And not only do they look good, they perform well, too. I can I can attest to that. Basically, I had a bunch of underwear from other brands, and as soon as I got Mack Weldon underwear, I threw all of it out because Mack Weldon is just that much superior to all the other underwear 
that I own. I also got one of their hoodies, um, and uh, it is it is fantastic. It's it's just great stuff all the way through. MacWeldon.com. You get 20% off using promo code Shapiro. That's promo code Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O. If you don't know how to spell my name, by the way, then you know you probably shouldn't be listening to or watching the show. It's exactly how it sounds. MacWeldon.com using promo code Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O. You get 20% off if you use that promo code. Plus, they will know that we sent you. Okay, so... Everything went nuts over the weekend. Why did everything go nuts over the weekend? Because, unfortunately, we now live in a world where when Donald Trump tweets things, everybody takes it seriously. And this is a silly world, okay? Donald Trump tweets lots of stuff. And the stuff that he tweets is usually coming straight out of his butt. Okay, Donald Trump just sees stuff on TV and then he tweets it. And that's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean he's a bad president. It doesn't mean he will be a bad president. It means that he uses Twitter as some sort of diarrheic format for him to just spew out his thoughts. And sometimes that's actually really useful because his thoughts are useful. And sometimes his thoughts are not. But to pretend that every tweet, and this is what the media is doing, to pretend that every tweet that Donald Trump sent is some sort of reflection of internal Donald Trump administration policy or reflects the best available intelligence, no. No. So here's what happened. Donald Trump sends a series of tweets on Saturday morning. He's all mad because he saw a story in Breitbart that was basically a synopsis of all of the various actions taken by the Obama administration and the DOJ in the run-up to the election and, uh, and after the election with regards to sort of the deep state going after Donald Trump. And here's what he tweeted. He tweeted, terrible. Just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. Is it legal for a sitting president to be wiretapping the president prior to an election? Turned down, right? And, and, then, he, and then he tweets, uh, let, me, let me find the exact text because it's hard to see here a little bit. He says, turned down, the, uh, the, the, uh, turned down by court is new low, right? And then he tweeted also, uh, I bet a good lawyer can make a great case out of the fact that President Obama was tapping my phones in October just prior to election. He said, how low has President Obama gone to tap two peas, my phone, during the very sacred election process? This is Nixon, Watergate, bad or sick guy. And so he tweets all this out and everybody loses their mind. Right. And then like an hour and a half later, he tweets out Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't voluntarily leaving The Apprentice. He was fired by his bad, pathetic ratings, not by me. Sad end to great show. I, the reason I add that last tweet is because this is how Donald Trump tweets, gang. Okay, just get used to it. Donald Trump is not tweeting the best available intel available from his intel community. He's not tweeting government secrets. He's tweeting whatever comes into his head, which I kind of like in some ways because it means we know what he's thinking. And in some ways, I think, well, he's the president. He probably shouldn't be doing that. But this raises a bunch of questions. So everybody loses their mind. So we'll answer the first question first. The first question is, is Donald Trump correct? Is, in fact, did Obama order him to be surveilled? Did Obama order his wires to be tapped? So... That specific charge is wildly overblown. Okay, that specific charge is wildly overblown. Marco Rubio was on one of the TV shows, and he says that uh, he's not sure exactly what Trump is talking about here. Trump made this very serious allegation. You're on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Do you have any evidence at all to suggest that President Trump is stating something factual here? By that, you, you mean the tweet yesterday about the uh, President Obama? Yes. Yeah, so obviously uh, I have no... I'm not sure what it is he is talking about. Perhaps the president has information that is not yet available to us or to the public. And if it's true, obviously we're going to find out very quickly. And if it isn't, then obviously he'll have to explain what he meant by it. So um, I, I don't, I'm not sure what the genesis of that okay, statement so was. Okay, so not a but, ringing uh, defense from Senator Marco Rubio. Then Martha Raddatz has on Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's another one of these spokespeople for the president. Uh, she is not good at her job. Here's Martha Raddatz grilling her over, over Trump's tweets. Sounds like the White House is really doubling down 
on what President Trump As we should, Martha, happened. if this happened, once again, this would be the greatest abuse of power and overreach uh, that's probably ever occurred in the executive branch. But what it's about these certainly deserves you, you, you just uh, to keep be saying looked at. If, if, if the president of the United States said it was a fact. He didn't say, I read a story in Breitbart or the New York Times or wherever else. He said, just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower. That's not an if. <laughs> Look, I, I, I will let the president speak for himself. But in terms of where we are in the White House, our ask. You're his <laughs> spokesperson. And I'm speaking about it right now. But but you're you're backing off of it. You're backing off. How of am what I President backing Trump off of it said. while I'm saying that I because think that this happened, if. and I think that the American people have a right to know, and I think that we should get definitive answers. I think we need to put out hard facts that show that this happened. I think we need. To, well, then do it. Then <laughs> like, this is the problem. Okay, so James Comey, who's now the left loves James Comey. So basically, James Comey just bounces around between being loved by various political parties. When he says that Hillary didn't commit a crime, then he's the best FBI director ever, according to the left. Then he says that we've reopened the investigation into Hillary's email and he is the worst person ever. And then a week later, he says, well, we closed that. And then he says, oh, well, I guess he's OK. And now he's ripping on Trump, saying that there's, this never happened, that Obama never ordered the GO, DOJ to wiretap Trump. And suddenly he's everybody's friend again. Everybody loves James Comey, right? He's just the best. Everybody loves James Comey. And then, you know, and then you have people responding to James Comey saying, so here's Kellyanne, he, well, here, here's a White House spokeswoman, this is again Sarah Huckabee Sanders, this morning, saying that Trump doesn't believe Comey when Comey says that Obama didn't wiretap him. Asked by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, spokesperson for the president. Sarah, thank you for joining us this morning. So, so we now know that the FBI director has told the Justice Department that President Trump's explosive claims are inaccurate. Does President Trump accept the FBI director's denial? You know, I don't think he does, George. I think he firmly believes that this is a storyline that has been reported uh, pretty widely by quite a few outlets. The wiretapping has been discussed in the New York Times, BBC, Fox News, and we believe that Sarah, it should be I have to, I looked have to at stop by the you. House Sarah, Intelligence Committee. I have Committee. got to stop you right there. Every single article you just mentioned does not back up the president's claim that President Obama had him wiretapped. Not a single one of those articles backs that up. So what is the president's evidence? It does back up the fact that the administration was wiretapping American citizens. There was a wide reporting suggesting that his administration, whether it was directly ordered by this president specifically, his administration could have done Sarah? that. Okay, so there's there's a lot of wiggle room here. Now, I'm going to get to the wiggle room in a second in the fact of what actually happened here. But... The, but here's here's the reality of what basically happened. Donald Trump read some reports. He then did a very summarized version of those reports that was not quite accurate. And then the media blew up with it. And so every scandal basically follows this pattern. Every scandal basically follows this pattern for the left. OK, Donald Trump tweets something. It is not accurate, but it has a connection to reality. Right. This is how Trump operates. He says something that's not quite accurate, but it has a connection to reality. The left goes, that's false, and it has no connection to reality. And then the right says, no, but it does have a connection to reality. And then the left says, you're all liars. It's fake news. And the right goes, but it's not fake news, because you know what? Obama was involved. His administration was involved in asking FISA courts for wiretaps on people related to the Trump campaign. And then we just repeat the cycle. So basically, you end up with one side saying everything Trump ever said is a lie, and the other side saying everything Trump ever said was true, when the truth is that Trump says really silly things on Twitter all the time that are summaries of a reality that is a little exaggerated. And then the left says nothing he ever says is true, which is also really silly and really stupid.
Okay, so basically, it's a bunch of stupid people hitting each other with clubs. That's basically the news today. And is this the end of the republic? Is this crazy? No, it's not. But the media are treating it like it's the end of the republic. Look at Mika Brzezinski just losing her ever-loving mind over this. It's really, it's really pathetic. When you are out speaking for President Trump, I would urge you not laugh at yourself. Because this is not funny. This is really bad. Just for the record, we're all really nervous. So if people out there feel nervous, we do too. We don't think this is funny. Oh, give me a freaking break. Oh my God, what are we gonna do? Mika and Joe sat in Trump Tower with Trump, the entire campaign basically kissing his ass. And now, oh my God, he tweeted something and it was mean to Obama and it's not accurate. Who did you think you were talking to all this time? Did you think that you were talking to the king of accuracy, Donald Trump? Who did you think you were yucking it up with this entire time, Mika? Unbelievable. Okay, so now we're actually going to get to the facts. So when I say that what Trump tweeted is not true, but it has a tenuous relation to reality, that is accurate. There is no evidence that Barack Obama directly ordered a wiretap of Trump Tower and Donald Trump particularly. Okay, that is not true. Here is what is true. Okay, National Review. To summarize, this is Andrew McCarthy. To summarize, reporting indicates that prior to 2016, the Obama Justice Department and FBI considered a criminal investigation of Trump associates and perhaps Trump himself based on concerns about connections to Russian financial institutions. Preliminary poking around indicated that there was nothing criminal involved. But rather than shut the case down, the Obama Justice Department converted it into a national security investigation under the FISA Act. Okay, FISA allows the government, if it gets court permission, to conduct electronic surveillance, which could include wiretapping, monitoring of email and the like against those it alleges are agents of a foreign power. FISA applications and the evidence garnered from them are classified. We would not know about any of this unless someone had leaked classified information to the media, which is a felony. James Barrett over at Daily Wire, he says, according to multiple reports during the 2016 campaign, the Obama administration allegedly submitted two requests with the FISA court targeting Trump or those associated with him. The first, submitted in June 2016, was reportedly a request to monitor several of Trump's associates. The request was denied. The Obama administration then allegedly submitted a second FISA request in October focused on the computer server in Trump Tower, which they suspected had some connections to Russian banks. That request was granted, but nothing was found. And then there were some reports that the wiretaps of, of that computer continued nonetheless. Heat Street reported something similar on the issue. So we really don't know the extent of the wiretaps. We know that the, that the FISA court refused one application and granted another, or at least that's the report. We also don't know whether those wiretaps were trained at Trump's associates. Uh, they weren't trained at Trump himself by any of these reports. None of these reports say Trump himself was tapped. So we also don't know if the information is being gathered because we were wiretapping Russian sources and we caught like Mike Flynn on the line talking with the Russians. So in other words, there's a lot of information that the intelligence community was concerned with the connections between Trump and Russia. Right? But the idea that Obama himself was dictating from top down that this is the case, that you have to follow Trump and you have to, you have to dig all this up, not any evidence of that. But by the same token, can you trust any of the people who are saying that? This is my biggest problem. Okay, my biggest problem with all of this is that the left keeps saying stuff like, Why, what's the big crisis here? Let's just stop there for a second. What is the big crisis here? I'll tell you what the big crisis is after we say thank you to our sponsor, which is uh, today, which is the USCCA, United States Concealed Carry Association. So 
If you are very into the Second Amendment, if you want to defend it yourself, if you feel like guns are the best protection of all the other amendments, then you need to talk with my friends at the United States Concealed Carry Association. They provide industry-leading firearms education. They have classes. They have training. They have self-defense insurance. So if, God forbid, somebody breaks into your house and you have to shoot them and then you need a defense lawyer, then USCCA helps you take care of it. And right now, they're doing something really cool, the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. They're going to buy 10 of my listeners, 10 of my listeners specifically, the gun of their dreams. You're about to get 10 chances to win 1500 bucks for any gun that you want. Just visit defendmyfamilynow.com to enter. Defendmyfamilynow.com to enter. Doesn't cost anything. No restrictions. You can pick any gun, any brand, any caliber you want. Defendmyfamilynow.com to enter and you get 1500 bucks toward the gun of your dreams if you win their little, their little lottery here. It's defendmyfamily.com. Defendmyfamilynow.com right now and check it out. Uh, again, USCCA, this is, a, this is a cause you know I feel passionately about. I feel very passionately about the Second Amendment, about gun ownership, about the right to self-defense, about the right of collective self-defense against an overarching, overreaching federal government. USCCA, these are the people that help make that right a reality. United States Concealed Carry Association, go to defendmyfamily.now.com, defendmyfamilynow.com, and check out all the services they have to offer. Plus, you have a shot at winning that $1,500 for any gun that you want, which is a pretty awesome deal. Okay, so what is the big issue that the media are focused on here. What's the big issue? If it's just not true, let's say that it's just not true, then what's the big deal? So Trump tweeted something out that's not true. Would this be any grave shock to anyone? Yeah, this is a guy who tweeted for three years that Barack Obama wasn't born in the United States. So like, no, it's not a, like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to get all exercised about Donald Trump tweeted crap. But what they're saying is this undermines the foundations of democracy. It undermines what democracy is all about. Democracy was already undermined, folks. Democracy was already undermined. Okay, all of the people who are currently denying that anything happened from Obama, all of those people can't be trusted. So, for example, James Clapper was the director of national intelligence under President Obama. And here is James Clapper talking about how he ordered no wiretap of the Trump campaign. Um, this idea that maybe President Obama ordered an illegal wiretap of his offices. If something like that happened, would this be something you would be aware of? I would certainly hope so. Uh, I, I can say, obviously, I'm not, I can't speak officially anymore, but uh, I will say that for the part of the national security apparatus that I oversaw as DNI, there was no such wiretap activity mounted against uh, the, pres the, the president elect at the time or as a candidate or against his campaign. Uh, I can't speak for uh, other. Title III mm -hmm. authorized uh, entities in the government or uh, a state or local entity. Yeah, I was just going to say, if the FBI, for instance, d had a FISA court order of some sort for a surveillance, would that be information you would know or not know? Yes. You would be told this. I would know that. If there was a FISA court order yes. on something so, like this. So he's saying none of this ever happened. This is all nonsense. Okay, I would believe him except for the fact that here's what James Clapper had to say in 2013 in front of Congress under oath. So what I wanted to see is if you could give me a yes or no answer to the question, does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not? Not wittingly. There are cases where they could in inadvertently perhaps uh, collect but not, not wittingly. Okay, that is called perjury, what you just saw there. And that guy is out there on TV telling you that you ought to believe him now. James Comey is saying you ought to believe him now. Really? Did we, which, which version of Comey did we believe during the election? The pro-Hillary version or the anti-Hillary version? Nobody knew. 
Okay, here is the reality. A lot of this is based, uh, Trump. what Trump is basing this on is Mark Levin did a, a good job on Friday of laying out all of the various attempts by the Obama administration to, to basically surveil members of the Trump campaign. Here's Mark Levin doing the same thing yesterday on Fox News and explaining the case. And it's a pretty solid case, what Levin says here. The evidence is overwhelming. This is not about President Trump's tweeting. This is about the Obama administration's spying. And the question isn't whether it's spied. We know they went to the FISA court twice. The question is, who did they spy on? The extent of the spying. That is, the Trump campaign, the Trump transition, Trump surrogates. And I want to walk you through this, the American people. Exhibit one. Exhibit one. This is all public. Head Street. Two separate sources with links to the counterintelligence community have confirmed that the FBI sought and was granted a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court. This is spying uh, in October, giving counterintelligence permission to examine the activity of, quote, U.S. persons in Donald Trump's campaign with ties to Russia. Let me go on. This isn't me. They say the first FISA request, sources say, name Trump was denied back in June, denied by the court. Mm -hmm. But the second out earlier, all these facts are publicly reported, publicly available, and we don't, excuse me, know what's true and what's not true at this point. So again, let me lay out the chain of events here. Donald Trump tweets something that isn't true, but has a connection to reality. The left says it has no connection with reality. The right says, wait, no, it has some connection with reality. Plus he's making a bigger point and the bigger point is true. And the left goes, the bigger point isn't true and it has no connection to reality. Okay, many things can be true at once. The Obama administration could not be trusted. Okay, the Obama administration clearly had, had information on Trump and Russia or wanted to gather information on Trump and Russia. And now they're saying they can't even find any real connection. They, they were pushing this story. I mean, it was being leaked out at the time almost. And, and so the fact that, you know, that, that they're saying now that nothing ever went on that was illicit is not trustworthy. So when people say Trump is the one who's quashing the public trust, no. No one can be trusted. No one can be trusted here. And I'll tell you what's, I think, good about that, but you'll have to stick around at Daily Wire for that. So if you want to hear more, you can go to dailywire.com. Check it out. $8 a month at dailywire.com. Get to a subscription. You can be part of our mailbag, which we'll be doing later this week. Uh, you can also get the rest of the show live. Plus, we're going to have a Shapiro store launching uh, in the next couple of, uh, in the next few weeks here. Um, and so you're going to want to check that out as well with discounts for subscribers, annual subscribers right now. You get a free copy of The Arroyo, which is a fictional film set on the southern border about the situation where ranchers are having their land overrun by drug cartels and illegal immigrant smugglers. You'll have to check it out. It's, it's, it's a really good movie, The Arroyo, uh, made by my friend and colleague Jeremy Boring here at The Daily Wire. And you get that for free when you become an annual subscriber, plus other goodies that will be coming shortly. DailyWire.com, become a subscriber. We are the top conservative podcast in the United States. So the Democrats are struggling to figure out exactly what the narrative is here. Is the narrative that Trump lied? Is the narrative that Trump is exaggerating? Is the narrative that Trump is an authoritarian? Or is it that these accusations are true? They don't know which narrative to quite follow here. So Nancy Pelosi says that you know, Donald Trump requesting an investigation into wiretapping, this is authoritarian stuff. You're part of the Gang of Eight. That's a group of House and Senate leaders, both the leadership and the leadership of the intelligence committees that would be privy, one suspects, to such information. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? Well, the president, you know, is the deflector in chief. Anything to change the subject for where the, from where the heat is. And uh, as one who has been engaged in intelligence, a member of the Gang of Eight for a long time, I can tell you that it's just ridiculous for the president 
President Trump to say that President Obama would ever order uh, any wiretap of an American citizen, any president. That's just the... I mean, it's just ridiculous. Now, here's another thing to mention here. Okay, the fact is that the president never has to order a wiretap of anybody. The president can just know that they want a wiretap and people do it. Okay, this idea that the president has to give a direct order. Yeah, very often, Holocaust deniers say that Hitler had nothing to do with the Holocaust because there's no piece of paper where Hitler said to people, I want you to kill all the Jews. You know, except for all the speeches for literally a decade where he said that he wanted to kill all the Jews and him bringing in a bunch of people around him who wanted to kill all the Jews and then him telling all of them that the Jews were the scourge of the earth. You know, the fact is that people at the heads of government very rarely have to tell their surrogates exactly what they want them to do. People have a general impression of what they want to happen. Right. So when the IRS was going after conservative nonprofits, that's not a shock in any way because Barack Obama wanted them to. He didn't have to issue a direct order to Lois Lerner to do that. So that the Democrats are trying to do is narrow the definition of what Trump said down to Barack Obama explicitly ordered a wiretap of Donald Trump personally. And what Trump is saying is, listen, I, meaning my team, we were all being wiretapped by the Obama administration and they knew what to do because Obama's the head of the administration. Now, both sides can be living in this sort of like weird gray area here, but nobody has a monopoly on truth here because neither one of them is really fully telling the truth. Like, like Donald Trump was not specific and the specific allegation that he made is not true. The Obama team and their defenders, they're not specific and the specific allegations that they make where they say nothing has happened, nothing unless it happened, no one was being tapped. By media reports, that's not true either. Chuck Schumer tries to have it both ways. He tries to say that, that Donald Trump is screwed whether this report is true or not. Either way... Uh, Chuck, the president's in trouble if he falsely spread this kind of misinformation. That is so wrong. It's it's beneath the dignity of the presidency. It is something that really hurts people's view of government. It's civilization warping, as Ben Sass, a conservative Republican, called it. And I don't know if any president. Uh, Democrat or Republican in the past has done this. It shows this president doesn't know how to conduct himself. Okay, so either way, right, either the investigation is true, in which case he's screwed, or it's not true, in which case he's lying. Or it's possible that he's not lying so much as he's saying things that are overblown, because that's what Donald Trump does, and then everybody is overreacting to that, but there's a grain of truth to what he's saying about the Obama team wanting to get him. And now, the, the irony of all of this is that a lot of this is built on the presupposition that Donald Trump was working hand-in-glove with the Russians. Chris Coons, he's a Democrat from Delaware, he's been making that claim for a while. He came out yesterday and he, he admitted, we don't really have any evidence that, that any of this is happening. If I may, I, I want to talk about the broader story here. Do you have any evidence at this point? And this investigation has been going on for a long period of time. We know that the FBI and intelligence uh, sources were looking at this at least since October, because that's when they all came out and said that the Russians were interfering. Do you know of any hard evidence of collusion between what I call Trump world and the Russians to interfere in this presidential campaign campaign? Not suspicions, not contacts, but evidence of collusion. Chris, I have no hard evidence of collusion. I think what hard evidence there may be will be discovered either through a full release of President Trump's financial interest and concerns and taxes or the intercept. Okay, so everybody's doing the same thing. Kuhn says, we have no hard evidence, but it'll be found in investigation. And Trump's saying, I have no hard evidence, but it'll be found in investigation. 
Basically, nobody is telling you the truth. They're all fibbing to you. And none of them are willing to be specific about their allegations because that would actually require them to be held accountable for the allegations that they make, which is frustrating. It is also not the worst thing in the world. Now, here is the upside to a bunch of people lying to you. Okay, so here's the upside of a bunch of people saying things that aren't true and that are silly. Upside number one. Barack Obama was, the presidency has become this very hallowed institution, this honored institution, basically the central institution of American civilization rather than the legislature. The legislature was supposed to be. That's why it's Article One of the Constitution. It has all the lawmaking power. The presidency has become sort of the leadership the leadership center of the American government, which is really unfortunate. And part of that is because of the rhetoric of the presidency. So really beginning with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the idea that the president was supposed to be this great gifted rhetorical leader who is going to lead the nation forward with the things that he said. You know, Barack Obama didn't do a lot of stuff, but he said a lot of stuff. And the stuff that he said was so meaningful. And we all had to pay such deep attention to everything that Barack Obama said in his mellifluous voice, right? Everything had to be taken very seriously. Along comes Trump. And it seems to me that the best way to analyze the Trump administration is just to basically ignore everything Trump ever says and just pay attention to what he does. Now, I understand that this is a different model of the presidency, but it's actually more like the model of the presidency that originally existed. The president was basically supposed to be a silent guy who was at the head of government, didn't talk a lot, didn't say a lot, just kind of did stuff. He was the executive branch, right? He executed. You don't expect your police officer to be the greatest talker in the world. You expect him to execute the law. You don't care if the repo man on your car is a great talker. He's the guy executing the law. The idea here that the president is supposed to be some sort of wondrous rhetorical leader, and, you know, we all admire the rhetoric of people like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. The fact is the vast majority of presidents up through FDR really didn't say a lot. They really didn't. Woodrow Wilson said a lot. T.R. said a lot. Nobody else really said a lot. Virtually all of them basically sat in the White House and did their job. It seems to me that the unintentional consequence of Donald Trump saying a lot of random crap is that eventually people are just going to tune it out. You know, I, I have two young children under three. When they scream all the time, it just becomes a drone, okay? When I have a three-year-old, and I've told her this, you know, if you, if you scream a lot, daddy can't understand what you're saying because it hurts my ears. Okay? And this is the same case with President Trump. If President Trump keeps just screaming things on Twitter and the media just keeps screaming things, eventually people are just going to tune everything out. Now, the downside to that is that that means that Everybody gets to make their own narrative because truth no longer has sway. And that's a really dangerous thing I've talked about on other shows. But there is an upside institutionally. And that is, if we stop worrying so much about the president said X, we must take him very seriously. And we just pay attention to what he does. Maybe we have a better government because of that. Maybe the unintentional side effect is that we have a better government. Now, there are going to be a lot of people who say, well, we should pay attention to what Trump says because he has important things to say. Well, if he has important things to say, he should do a better job of saying those and not saying stupid things. Okay, Donald Trump has a responsibility. If he wants the wheat to be separated from the chaff, he needs more wheat and less chaff. If he wants people to pay attention to the important things he has to say, and I agree some of the important things he has to say are important, he needs to not say silly things at the same time. But if the overall impact of this kind of post-truth world in which we live is that we don't pay as much attention to the media except when something's actually happening, and we don't pay as much attention to the rumors, and we don't pay as much attention to the innuendo and the speculation, and we don't pay as much attention to Donald Trump's Twitter feed, Maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe it's a good precedent for the future, actually. You know, that's, that's something that could actually be an, unincon- an un- unconscious and unintentional side effect of the overwrought nature of the political discourse that's currently happening. Because God knows, you know, if, if we're going to have it be at this pitch and tenor over Donald Trump tweeting something out of his butt, then it's going to be, I mean, it's been a long, four, you know, it's been like 40 days since he took office. 
It doesn't feel like it's been about 15 years since he took office. And that's because when people are loud, it's very tiring. Okay, Donald Trump is a loud guy. The media are loud in response. The Democrats are loud because they're all losing their minds. Now, how about this? How about everybody just simmers down or, or alternatively, people can just stop paying attention and we'll all just say, okay, you know, say what you want to say, wake me when it's over, tell me what you're going to do. And I think maybe that's a better way to do government anyway. Okay, I have more to talk about here, things I like and things I hate. But first, we have to say thank you to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. So if you're somebody who's looking at the economy and you're saying to yourself, yeah, things are going great, but I'd like to diversify, or I think the stock market is overvalued, you need to talk to my friends over at Birch Gold. So you go to birchgold.com slash Ben. They can help you legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds and into precious metals. There's something to be said for diversifying your, your base of assets. I own some precious metals. I think everybody should because of the fact is that precious metals are not backed by the government. Precious metals are backed by their value. And that is a very, very good thing. So birchgold.com slash Ben is the place to go for all of this. And they will send you a 16-page free kit revealing how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move again your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds into precious metals without tax consequences. Birchgold.com slash Ben. A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Countless five-star reviews. Check them out. Birchgold.com slash Ben. Okay. Time for some things that I like and some things that I hate. Let's do it. Things that I like. All right, so uh, this week I'm going to be doing spy movies since we are, are apparently talking about nothing but spies, spies, spies everywhere. This is the most paranoid time in American politics since the 1970s. It's very reminiscent of the 1970s. And in the 1970s, Hollywood made a bunch of films about the government being in league with spies and, and covertly killing people. There's a lot of paranoia running rampant on the left. Trump is in league with Putin. Something deep, nefarious is happening. Ooh. By the way, you want to know my actual theory on Trump and Putin? Here's my actual theory on Trump and Putin, if there's anything there at all. Trump likes Putin because Putin's a strong man and says blustery things. And also, he hired Paul Manafort, who is considered this kind of black ops guy. And Paul Manafort actually was in bed with the Russians. And by the time Trump realized it and ousted him, then that sort of gave the Russians a foot in. If there's anything there, it's that. I don't think that this is a matter of Donald Trump is owned by the Russians. They have tape of him being peed on by Russian prostitutes or anything silly like that. In any case, in a paranoid time, you get paranoid movies. And there are a lot of really good paranoid movies made in the 1970s. One of those is Three Days of the Condor. This is a movie with Robert Redford and Max von Sydow. Uh, and it's all about this uh, It's all about this, this spying thing that goes wrong, basically, Robert Redford works for a firm, and he comes back. This is the very beginning of the movie. He comes back one day, and everybody in the firm has been killed, and he's trying to figure out who has done it. This is the major. This is Joe Turner. Identification? My name is Turner. I work for you. Now listen. Identify yourself. What is your designation? Uh, Condor. Something has happened. Section 9, Department 17. The section's been hit. What level? What level? Level of damage. Everybody. Dr. Lapp, Janice, Ray, Harold. Everybody is dead. What is it? What is it? Are you damaged? Damaged? No. Are you armed? Identify the armament. It's a 45 automatic. Will you guys bring me in, please? I'm not a field agent. I just read books. This is the panic office. Section 917 may have been hit. Hit confirmed. It was a quality work. Clean, fast, first rate. Except they overlooked one item. You say one of my people is still okay? Condor, you know him? No. So 
Very so, so I'm, I'm not going to give away the plot, but it is a, a good, intense movie. Again, a lot of the film is is this paranoia with regard to the CIA, paranoia with regard to how the government works, and you're actually seeing it on both sides. You have Trump, who's paranoid about the CIA targeting him, and you have the the left, paranoid that Donald Trump is going to target them. And so I think that you're going to see more movies of this ilk. We'll talk about some more of those spy movies as we continue. It's always interesting to see how Hollywood shifts based on who the president is. So during the Obama presidency, we had a lot of race-based films. Uh, during the Trump presidency, so far, it looks like Hollywood is greenlighting a lot of films that, that have this sort of law and order bent, which is not unusual. They did this during the Reagan years as well. Uh, we'll see. if they. Uh, my theory is they're going to greenlight a lot of conspiracy-minded stories exactly like this one because people have a lot of conspiracy theories out there. Good movie, Three Days of the Condor. Check it out. Okay, time for some things I hate. So, my wife and I were looking for a movie to watch on Saturday night, and we'd seen the preview for Allied. Now, I like good old-fashioned war picks. Uh, Allied is this film with Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard, and the basic premise of the film, which they gave away in the trailer, uh, is that she is um, suspected. He, he, he's a spy, she's a spy. Uh, they both end up falling in love during World War II, and then she's suspected of actually being a German agent. And what does he do about that? That's the premise. Okay, so sounds like a good setup for a film, right? Sounds like an interesting premise for a film. And uh, and in fact, the the trailer is is pretty good, right? I mean, do we have the do we have a little bit of the trailer here? You'll sleep on the roof. In Casablanca, that's where husbands go. They're watching us. Focus me. Oh, the film is actually, it, it's not a horrible, horrible film, but it's not a good film. And it, there, are, there are several flaws with the film. One is, not to give anything away, but the basic premise of the film is that love should overcome all. In the middle of World War II, it's very difficult to make that contention. And when you're fighting the Nazis and there are scenes where London is being bombed because they moved back to London... It's very difficult to make the contention that love should overcome all when literally people are dying because of this relationship. So, you know, that's that's something that's very bothersome from a moral level. I didn't like the the kind of baseline moral of the thing, which would be uh, that everything would would wind, uh, would wind up naturally if love could overcome war. OK, the Nazis were really bad, it turns out. OK, also, uh, the other things that. OK, so Brad Pitt is legitimately the worst actor living. Uh, he is just awful. He is so wooden in this film that if the guys from Fargo stuck him in a wood chipper, he'd actually come out as wood chips on the other end. He is so, he's just a log. I mean, I turned to my wife and I said, is he supposed to be sad now? Is he happy? I can't tell. And what? And there's no chemistry between them whatsoever, which is really funny because there are rumors they were having an affair. If so, it's just an old people affair because it just doesn't show up on screen at all because, I mean, she can act. Marion Cotillard's actually a really good actress. And she is just acting with an inanimate object. I understand that Brad Pitt is, is a good-looking fellow. Although, you know Brad Pitt's 53 years old? Isn't that amazing? Brad Pitt is 53 years old. He's really getting up there. And he looks like he's about 45 in this film. And she looks like she's about 35 in this film. The film would have worked a lot better if everybody were younger. If, the, if this had been like a 30-year-old and a 25-year-old, this would have worked a lot better because there would have been an innocence to it that just doesn't exist when everybody is middle-aged. But, you know, the fact that 
Brad Pitt is such a terrible actor. In this film, it really shows. In fact, there's, a, there's been a long-standing Hollywood rumor about Brad Pitt's acting that it's so bad that in every scene, if you're a good director, what you try to do is have Brad Pitt eating something so that his mouth is full of something when he's talking. So if you watch Moneyball, every scene, he's chewing gum. Every scene, he's got a prop that he's holding, right? Something to distract you from the fact that the guy can't act his way out of a paper bag. Uh, he's really quite awful in this film. Uh, again, very disappointing. The costumes are beautiful. Uh, it's, it's just stagnant. It doesn't move. And, and then the ending is bleh. So, don't see Allied, in other words. Okay, uh, other things that I hate. So Charles Murray, who's the author of a great book called Coming Apart, real public intellectual, and works at American Enterprise Institute. He got a lot of flack. I talked about this a little bit last week on Friday. He got a lot of flack uh, for writing a book called The Bell Curve with Richard Hernstein, in which he explicitly said that any IQ differentials could possibly be environmentally explained, but he didn't talk about that. He just said, here's the data. You can like the data or hate the data, but the data is the data. And the protests against Charles Murray at Middlebury College are overwhelming, and here's what it looked like. have been uh, the object of such protests before, and it's always the same chance. I mean, no matter who is speaking, it's exactly the same chance. They don't even get creative about it. They don't say, Charles Murray's theory of IQ is flawed in several major ways, right? It's always, it's always racist, sexist, anti-gay. Okay, like, anti-gay? What are they even talking about? Charles Murray go, like, his second book, his, his second major book, right, Coming Apart, is all about differentials in the white community. He specifically did Coming Apart because of the blowback from the bell curve. He said, listen, I'm not going to get into racial politics again, so how about if I just look at cultural differentiations inside white folks? Because that way people can't accuse me of being a racist when I talk about cultural differentiation. Doesn't matter. He still gets batted around, slapped around. Really, really ridiculous. It actually got violent at one point here. There was, there was a professor who left in like a neck brace. And this just goes to show you that, you know, two things. It goes to show you two things. One is... It does not matter. It does not matter who is speaking at these campuses. The left must stop them. The left must stop them no matter what. Charles Murray wrote, A few months ago, AEI's student group at Middlebury College invited me to speak on the themes in Coming Apart and how they relate to the recent presidential election. About a week before the event, plans for protests began to emerge, encouraged by several faculty members. Their logic was that since I am a racist, a white supremacist, a white nationalist, a pseudoscientist whose work has been discredited, a sexist, a eugenicist, and this is a new one, anti-gay, I did not deserve a platform for my hate speech and hence it was appropriate to keep me from speaking. And he talked about how it played out and how the administration tried to help, but the students, okay, the students need to be, the students who did this need to be suspended. They need to be punished. The people who got violent should be expelled. This is insanity. This is insanity. And it's shocking to me also. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's shocking to me personally just because, number one, Charles Murray is, again, a very well-respected intellectual. This happened to Ayan Hirsi Ali, another controversial intellectual. It's happened to Jason Riley of the Wall Street Journal, another controversial intellectual. And this should show the right something, too. Okay, And what the right should see is that there is a just because the left protests someone does not make that person good. And the left will protest virtually anyone. They'll protest Charles Murray. They'll protest me. They'll protest Milo. We are not all three equivalent. Okay, you actually have to analyze the content of what's... And if the left would do that, what they might come away with is some learning rather than some shouting. You know, Charles Murray says, I stood at the podium. I didn't make any attempt to speak. No point in it, but I did make eye contact with the students. I remember one in particular from whom I couldn't look away for a time. She reminded me of my daughter. She looked at me reproachfully and a little defiantly, her mouth moving in whatever the current chant was. I'm probably projecting... 
But I imagined her to be a student who wasn't particularly political, but had learned this guy Murray was truly evil. So she found herself in the unfamiliar position of activist, not really enjoying it, but doing her civic duty. The others, wow. Someone just having a snarky good time, as college undergrads have been known to do, dancing in the aisle to the rhythms of the chants. Many looked like they had come straight out of casting for a film of brand shirt rallies. In some cases, I can only describe their eyes as crazed and their expression as snarls. Melodramatic, I know, but that's what it looked like. This went on for about 20 minutes. My mindset at that point was to wait them out if it took until midnight, but finally, Bill Berger came on stage and decided correctly the people who deserved who would come to hear the lecture deserved a chance to do so. Pro- Professor Stanger and I were led out of the hall to the improvised studio, and then he uh, he started giving his lecture. There's the sound of shouting outside, followed by loud banging on the walls of the bil- uh, of the building. And uh, they continued to speak. The fire alarm was pulled. This has happened to me personally. This is what happened at Cal State Los Angeles. We finished around 6.45, prepared to leave the building. Alice and Bill and I, by this point, I saw them as dear friends and still do, were accompanied by two large and capable security guards. We walked out the door into the middle of a mob. I have numbered, they read about 20. It seemed like a lot more than that to me, maybe 50 or so, but I wasn't in position to get a count. They were wearing ski masks, which was disquieting. A big man with a sign was standing right in front of us, wasn't going to let us pass. I instinctively thought we'll go around him. That wasn't possible. We just get blocked by the others who were joining him. So we walked straight into him. One of our security guys pushed him aside, and that's the way it went from then on. Basically, they plowed right through it. Someone grabbed Allison Hare's just a, Allison's hair just as someone else shoved her from another direction, damaging muscles, tendons, and fascia in her neck. I was stumbling because of the shoving. If it hadn't been for Allison and Bill keeping hold of me and the security guards pulling people off me, I would have been pushed to the ground. This is brown shirt stuff. It is. Read back to the, the late days of the Weimar Republic. This is the kind of stuff that brown shirts did. Okay, the idea that you're going to shut down any sort of active engagement that you don't agree with and you're going to participate in violence to do so, that is not just ideological fascism, it is the actual methodology of fascists the world over. It is disgusting, and Middlebury College has an obligation to find out who was doing this and to expel them ASAP. And it's not just the fascists at, at Middlebury. Over in Berkeley, there was some pro-Trump event, and, uh, and it broke into basically a brawl. Here's what it looked like. Okay, so they're not going to let them come out here. And again, it's this mentality. And you see, it's it's not just coming from you know the most violent among you. It's like this prim and proper young woman, I guess, who's shouting that they're going to use the methodologies of violence to shut it down. They did. And in fact, there are pictures. You can go to dailywire.com. You can see what it looked like. There was an actual brawl that broke out. This is dangerous stuff. And when people start responding to the dangerous stuff, it's going to get even more dangerous. So all I can recommend to to folks on the left is please, please, please engage in conversation, not in violence. If you don't, the authority should be called on you ASAP, because if that doesn't happen, there, if this stuff doesn't get quelled, then it's going to bust out in a major way. And that and, and there's going to be both sides in the streets hitting each other with brickbats. And that's going to get really ugly, really quick. That's a real danger of democracy. You want to talk about danger of democracy? It's not Donald Trump tweeting silly things. Okay, it's not the media responding to Donald Trump tweeting silly things. The real danger to democracy is Charles Murray getting beat up or people trying to beat him up while he's speaking at a university. It's people in Berkeley getting the crap kicked out of them. And literally, you can see the video. Somebody's getting the crap kicked out of them for being pro-Trump or anti-Trump. That stuff is the real danger to democracy, and I fear that that is getting more and more severe as people stop remembering their civics, stop remembering how government is supposed to work, and start thinking that government is supposed to be the avatar of their rage. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. 
We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 